Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty. This is the Punk Rock NBA Podcast. Today's guest is Randall Pitch. This is actually the audio version of an interview I did with him, I don't know, six months ago or something like that. Really liked how it turned out, so I thought I would share it here for anybody who missed it the first time around. This is not the world's best audio quality since recording on location is not my specialty, but I think it's an awesome interview, so I wanted to share it here anyway. Randall is the founder and CEO of a brand called Live Fit Apparel. If you are into the whole kind of fitness, gym wear kind of world, then you probably know it because it's a pretty big deal. But the reason why I wanted to talk to him more than that is because he is one of us. He comes from like the Orange County metalcore hardcore kind of world and actually used a lot of what he learned from being in a band to build the company. So that's kind of the angle that we focus on. But before I get into the episode, there are a few ways that you can support the show. The first thing you can do, which really helps us a lot, is to share it on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. We don't care. Please share it on there if you like what you hear and tag us, tag me, the guest, tag Deanna. It really helps us a lot because the platforms really don't do much to promote the shows. Second thing you can do, if you really like us, is to buy some merch. There's a link to that in the show notes. Thing number three you can do if you really, really, really like us is you can support the show on Patreon. There's a link to that in the description as well. Patrons get every show a week early. There is a chance for me to review your band or podcast or YouTube channel or any other project you want to send my way. So if you want to check that out, hit the link in the show notes. And with that, let's get into the show. I think I first heard of you, I think it was on um, Mikey Taylor and, and Eric's podcast. Yeah. And uh, I didn't I, I didn't know anything about you, saw the picture or something. And at first I thought you were one of these like Instagram phonies. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. some another one of these Instagram brands, you know, with a bunch of paid followers and a rented Lambo or whatever, yeah. you know. But, you know, I was kind of digging deeper and uh, saw that you knew like John from Wins of Play and some other people. Yeah. And it's like, okay, I guess he's the real deal. Yep. Uh, and, you know, anytime one of my people makes it, I'm excited. Like I said, 30 in-house employees, about 17 uh, brand ambassadors and pro athletes combined. So we do about an average of 150 to 200 orders a day. We, st- we do have retail accounts that I choose and approve to wholesale to. And uh, we have stores in Japan. Australia, uh, all over Europe, pretty much all over the world. I think I did my first million my my first year or two, you know, when I only mm-hmm. had three employees. Now we have 30, you know, so we've scaled quite a bit. Just to kind of back up a little bit, I know mm-hmm. you talked about some of the other like podcasts I've heard you on about like being in a band when you were like in high school and how that taught you some of this stuff. Yeah. Could you maybe go into a little bit more detail about that? Yeah, I started playing uh, drums in middle school, you know, obviously like regular band, jazz band and stuff. And I started getting into hardcore music and straight edge uh, in high school, just with a couple of local 
dudes that I've met and I still keep in touch with today, of course. I remember in high school, I just wanted to be in a band and uh, got together with a couple of guitar players. And it wasn't anything crazy, you yeah. know, um, but then it got serious later in the year when I started joining uh, or joined another band and they were a lot bigger. It was one Mark One Mission. They're actually from here in okay. Orange County. Uh, we toured with Suicide Silence. Uh, we toured with Winter Blade. That's all I know, John. Okay. And then um, uh, Arm for Battle, AFB, Tony. Tony's actually like one of my best friends. Oh, okay. I was talking this morning. He actually owns Golden English with me. Oh, um, nice. Downstairs. Yeah. Being in a band, you know, you got to deal with a lot of merchandise, right? You know, when you're in the scene and you're, you're doing your thing, you don't think that you're running a business, but you are legitimately running a business. You're selling clothes in exchange for currency to pay for your your tour or your band pay yeah. the members because yeah everyone likes to think you want to do this for fun which it should be but you got to get paid as well you got to get food on the table when you're dealing with merch and touring and all that stuff you got to make money i think that taught me especially in high school because i would run the merchandise uh for all the bands every time because i did graphic design in high school mm-hmm. as well so i'll do the designs run the merch and you know go get the blanks find the silk screeners I didn't know until people were like, dude, how the fuck do you know where to go? You know, I'm like, oh shit, because I've been doing this my whole life. You know, talking from like 14 years old till now, 31. And it's like, if you can make any money off of fucking hardcore, which is like the hardest business in the world, if you can make any money off of that, like, like you could crush it if you just apply yourself. Yeah. Dude, the designs from that cover of the hardcore are pretty dope, though. They are. Like a varsity letter type of Everything in streetwear in the past, like, I don't know, 10 years is, I mean, not everything, but a huge chunk of it is, like, borrowed from the stuff I was into when I was a kid, like graffiti, skateboarding, and hardcore. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's, like, the foundation of pop culture now. Yeah, I I feel the same way. You know, when you go to a hardcore show, and even, like, the the local hardcore shows, and if these bands have merchandise, some of them are pretty fucking dope. You know, they got some sick-ass designs that you would see in uh, big brands today, you know? Sometimes I'll find some, like, Earth Crisis shirt from, like, 1993 or something and show it to her. They're like, this looks like hype streetwear. Dude, yeah, no, for sure, for sure. The black and white in the back with, like, the crowd. Yeah, shit. yeah. And, like, yeah. The story that with Lift Apparel, it was never meant to be a, a clothing brand. Okay, so it, it's weird. It's funny. Like, when you try to do that, yeah. it will never work. I've had uh, this other brand called Ruckus Clothing I did in high school. We sponsored hardcore bands. We sponsored rappers and hip, hip-hop artists mm-hmm. and all these other things. Skateboarders, too. And uh, we had the MySpace back in the day. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but it was just like, you force feed it so much that it doesn't feel authentic. Yeah. You know, there's no real story behind it because it's like, what have I done? You know, you know who are you? But then again, it taught me how to do websites, all mm-hmm. this stuff, whatever. So then later on, when I started studying kinesiology in college, I became a personal trainer. And then I started running my own business. You know, I had a few clients to 50 clients and I had trainers working under me. And I was like, you know what? I know the t-shirt game. Let's put some t-shirts on my clients' bags. Let's put some uniforms on my uh, trainers so we can look professional and run a legit business. I wasn't even thinking, like, where do I go? It just was natural. Like, I already knew where to go to get the shirts, mm-hmm. get this, do this design, whatever. Brand my whole um, company had a website and all that stuff just from prior experiences. So once I started treating it like a brand in a sense, mm-hmm. um, I would sell merchandise to people that weren't my clients because it started catching on. Those were branded Live Fit or oh, so yeah. So let me backtrack to check this out. Um Live Fit was just a slogan for my for my personal training business. My personal uh training business was RP Fitness, so mm-hmm. for Randall Pitch. And then I just had the slogan Live Fit. 
and then I mocked up some designs and put lifted big and uh, we actually still sell that design today and it really caught on and then I invested 300 bucks for a batch of shirts right because shirts they don't cost much to make when yeah. you get it in bulk and you still screen it so I got my first batch and first I gave it to my clients or I gave it to them as an incentive when they um, re-signed with me or something you know what I mean or like challenges or whatnot mm-hmm. But uh, they started rocking the shirts, and then they would put it on their social media, which was Facebook at the time. And then um, word just got out because people saw the designs, like, "Hey, man, that's a dope shirt!" You know, lift it, slogan, all this. Where can I get one? And that's where it's like, okay, light bulb struck my head. I'm like, uh, you don't work out with me, but I can sell you one. Yeah, we meet up in the parking lot, or you know, if you're not local, hey, I'll put it up on this this store now. You can go buy it. So then that's kind of where it really, really uh, popped off. So I started this whole company with 300 bucks. And no investments, no nothing, no debt ever. So this is all bootstrapped. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Millions of millions of dollars. Yeah. No fucking debt. Nothing. That's amazing. Yeah. So because I was already making a good living in personal training. I see. Right. So I had good income, good time, but I saw this opportunity, you know, this window. But um, when I invested that three hundred bucks, when I got that investment back, because when you sell the shirt, you know, you're making your margin, you're doubling up. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't spend it. I would just throw it to restock those SKUs. And then I would have enough to make another design. One design turned into two design, two designs turned into four. All of a sudden I got like four t-shirts, a hoodie and a hat. I'm like, dude, I got a whole line, you know? Right. So then, yeah, it's just all started with 300 bucks. What I think a lot of people feel like they have to have it all figured out before they like press go. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? And, and that's intimidating because it's like, I can't plan how to, I can't plan the whole empire, but you don't have to like, mm-hmm. just make your first batch of shirts. Right. And if people like it, cool. And if they don't, Cool. Make another batch. Try again. Exactly. Yeah. There's no, there's never going to be a right time. Um, if you're waiting for somebody to tell you when to, to do it, you should probably shouldn't do it. (laughs) Right. You know, it's a lot of trial and error and I can honestly speak like, like that's the truth. You know, when I say I'm still doing trial and error here, you know, I'm sure there's times where you come up with a skew that you think is going to be awesome. And then it eats shit. Oh yeah, no, for sure. We're like, dude, this thing is fucking tight. Why are you buying it? You know? Yeah. So even though you've been doing this for 15 years, like you still really never know. Yeah. You really never know. It's just having the confidence to do it, you know? Cause I mean, that's the first step. Once you do it, you're already ahead of the game for then these other guys that are just waiting around, you Mm -hmm. know, you might as well do it. You'll never know if you don't do it. It sounds so simple, but for me, I just had the attitude where dude, I had nothing to lose. Right. You know, and I want to know what's on the other side. Let me do it. If I fail, fuck it. Then I know that, okay, I'm not going to do that again, but you will never know if you don't try it. How the fuck does a new brand stand out from the noise? You know, Live Fit's a relatively new brand. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you stand out from the nine fucking million Instagram brands out there? You got to have a story behind it. There's got to be something, a why this brand was born because mm-hmm. like I said, if you force it and you say you have this mission, like, okay, cool. What the fuck have you done? Right. When I did it, I had a story. I was a physique competitor before I had the brand. Uh, I was a bodybuilder before I had the brand. Uh, I was a personal trainer before I had the brand. I changed hundreds of people's lives. Mm-hmm. I had that first, which gained traction first before I had lifted apparel. So like our mission now with lift fit is yeah, we're a clothing brand, but we're here to promote a healthier uh, fitting lifestyle, you know, with active sports and, you know, modern sports and stuff like that. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people start with like designing some shirts and then kind of back into like the story. Like I want to do this now. Yeah. 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 It's like, I designed four shirts. Now how do I create a story that like sort of justifies them? Mm-hmm. And like you said, it's not authentic and you can right. smell it a mile away and then it just never works. 
One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to something about the Beatles, now at Evergreen, and wherever you get your podcasts. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. Well, I guess switching gears then, you know, there's so many great things about the scene that I mentioned, like kind of just that attitude of saying, fuck it, let's just try this and see what happens. And, you know, doing all these things yourself, but there are some negative sides to it. So many people that are like entitled and complaining and making excuses. And that's such a big part of like hardcore is pointing the finger at somebody else, Uh cops or the government or teachers. It's 
kind of a personal mission of mine is to like attack that kind of thinking because it holds people back. Yeah. There's a part of your story that I think ties into that, which is basically the Cambodian angle. There's all these refugees from places like Cambodia and Vietnam that went through horrible shit that no American can ever even possibly imagine. Right. These people are starting all kinds of businesses. You know, they're grinding it out. They're hustling. They're, they're making it happen. Mm-hmm. So if you're an able-bodied American, like, born in America, like, what is the fucking excuse? You have none. Like, no, what yeah. is the excuse? Can you talk a little bit about kind of, like, where you came from? Because I think that is yeah. a big part of your story. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I grew up uh, on the east side of Long Beach, you know, single mother. Um, my dad was always around, but they divorced when I was three. So he lived in Cerritos, so I would visit him so often. But I was, like I said, uh, born and raised on the east side of Long Beach, which was, like, Prominently, you know, heavy with gang activities. And, uh, well, let me back up. As yeah. Most most people, I think, when they see an Asian person, they think engineer yeah, or something like that. Right. Which is, you know, obviously that is one large group of Asians. Right. But then, you know, you are talking about, like, hood shit, and they're going, wait a minute, what? But yeah. if you know anything about Cambodians, that actually makes total sense. Yeah. Just kind of explain that. Exactly. Yeah. So the stereotypical Asian, I guess, we don't fall into that category. And especially if, the, if you're from Long Beach or from like Southern California, you know, like the the Cambodians. You know, we're we're all uh, grew up in the rough areas. We came here as uh, refugees. I'm first generation, so I was born here, uh, fortunately. But uh, a lot of the other um, people that fled from the war came here with nothing, so they were on like housing, Section Eight, stuff like that, getting help from government, um, had no place to go, so they started gangs and stuff. So, um, and then being different uh, here, deal with obviously get rivaled or have rival gangs too. So like the Mexicans, the blacks, the Asians, you know, they were all not getting along and Long Beach was a melting pot. You know, this is when I was a kid, you know, we just grew up knowing where to go, where not to go, who to hang out with and stuff, you know, but luckily enough for, for me, when I was growing up, I found skateboarding, you know, so that kind of took me in another direction because I had friends that I still have today that are game bangers or old game bangers, yeah. you know? And they took another ride. I'm like, fuck, you're lucky you survived, dude. After all the shit they told me they did, I'm like, fuck, dude. You know, so um, I got to think skateboarding because Long Beach, like I said, is a diverse culture and it's heavy in skateboarding too. Uh, we have like Cherry Park, which is like a famous um, park that all the skaters go to. But when we go to this, these skate locations, there's all kinds of races, all whatever. We didn't care because we were so interested right. in skateboarding, you know? So I think that actually, like, uh, got me and saved me from being hood and, you know, uh, go, going to go gangbang or something. So, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, dude, the uh, Cambodians from Southeast Asia, the Cambodians, the, the Vietnamese, Laos, and all those mm-hmm. peeps are, you know, it's not like what you think, like, the Japanese or Chinese you know, like you see in the movies and stuff. Yeah. Like <laughs> I mean, what was it like? Twenty percent of the Cambodian population was killed in the war. Yes, yeah, so it was I mean, like it was, fucking outrageous it was more, yeah. of people. The recorded number was actually more than the Jewish Holocaust. Yeah, yeah, the, the, and, and it's know. not a big country. Yeah, no, it's yeah. And then half or the second most populated place with Cambodians now is Long Beach. Mm-hmm. I think that's still current after Cambodia. Yeah. You know, yeah. like I didn't know nothing better. You know, and then when I started putting this stuff out. People would stereotype and say, like, you know, I see dumb comments like, oh, people must have rich parents. Like, right, right. Oh, well, my fucking parents came here fucking running away from bullets from you all people, you know? <laughs> it's crazy, dude. Like, the stories that I hear from my parents, like, fuck, it's nutty. But we didn't have nothing. We yeah. came from nothing. No money. Nothing. You know? So when people are, like like you said, being here, I can't do this. Can't, man, motherfucker, you got two arms, two legs, right. dude. You're, you're fucking lucky. You have 
You know what I mean? It's safe. Speak English. Yeah, you speak English. You got the same ability I have. Go fucking do the work, dude. Right. You know? Yeah, that's that's an aspect of, like, the scene that I don't like. Yeah, and people focusing on the barriers, what they can't do. And it's like, if you just put that energy into doing shit, this wouldn't be a problem. And I think the scene likes to judge people. And I don't know if you Mm -hmm. can agree with that, but yes. Okay, yes, they like to judge people. So I feel like they may want to do it, but are kind of embarrassed mm-hmm. because, oh, what are my homies going to think? For me, I didn't even give a fuck, dude. I just, you know what? I'm going to disappear for a bit. Fuck you guys. If you're going to support me or whatever, because, I, you know, it's just kind of a thing that ran through my head every single night. I mean, I'm sure you get some of that, though, right? It's, or maybe not anymore. I don't know. But at a certain point, like, it's the tall poppy syndrome. Anyone that, you know, rises up a little bit, there's certain people that want to cut them down. Oh, yeah. And when you started making some noise, I'm sure that you got funny that. Oh, yeah. All the time. All the time. It's funny until, you know, if like I'm normally I would just be like, you know, fuck it, then I'm gonna cut you out because it's just stress. Yeah. But then some of these guys, they just didn't know what I go through because when you work in nine to five or like a regular type of job, that's what you do every single day. Mm-hmm. My every single day is different. You know, three hundred sixty-five days a year is fucking different. And there's so, probably not a second, other than maybe when you're with your family or something. But there's probably not a second you're not thinking about exactly. The exactly. pressure is all on you. Yeah, I have. Like, if you fuck up, those people in the warehouse are out of a job. Mm-hmm. And the people in the warehouse have families. Right. They got kids, you know? So it's like, fuck, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. So then when I finally take all these of my close friends I didn't understand, kind of like show them around, they're like, fuck, you know? It's an eye opener for them. Uh, to anybody who maybe feels like they might sort of be interested in business, but maybe they're scared of some of the stuff you were talking about, what would you say to that person? I would say that uh, it's going to be hard regardless, but everyone's going to have their own battles, you know? You know, just don't be afraid because it's not like a, like, it's not going to kill you. You know, you're going to, it's going to just force you to learn. You're going to have to learn. So you have some, you know, you have, what do you say, like 20, like ambassadors and stuff that you work mm-hmm. with, and you've probably been through lots more than that. Right. Um, what are some pointers, like, if someone has a small project, how do they reach out to like influencers, ambassadors? How do you get these people to give you the time of day when you're still small? You know what? There's a new study now that's out on um, social media that the people with a bigger following are losing that connection with uh, the uh, their their audience mm-hmm. because of multiple brands that they're posting. The trust is getting lost. Mm-hmm. You know, so the smaller influencers, you could say, with uh, less of a following, are actually having more of an impact. Like we had athletes and ambassadors who had like millions of followers, you know, to now that we have, you know, ambassadors with not even half that, but Mm -hmm. we're still doing crazy numbers, you know, for, for us. So this is crazy because like the, the, the data that we have in our backend, obviously uh, a lot of people don't know, you know, the, the ambassadors and athletes, what they bring in and contribute as far as like revenue wise, because they have a code and whatnot, is only eight percent total. Mm-hmm. You know, the rest comes from my marketing and myself, just because of social media and how much or how tied I am to the brand. So uh, when we pick like athletes and ambassadors, sometimes we don't even care about the sales. We just want to make sure that uh, the image is portrayed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not marketing in a sense. Yeah, you know, we're looking at for people who just are authentic and real and and are just loyal to stick to what they say, mm-hmm. you know, because there's some people that just hop around brands. Like one, one day they say, this is the best thing in the world. And right. The next right. day they say, this is the best thing. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? Right. right. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like, I don't know, a year or two ago or something like that, you were, I don't want to say like backing away from your personal brand, but maybe trying to push live fit a little bit more. And then you realize like, you know what? I guess people want me to be out there more. Yep. You're totally right. I wanted to distance myself and kind of just push the brand as a brand. 
but every time I was active and do the thing, the data shows with sales, you know, it would spike up, you know, and there's a direct correlation. We were like, dude, this can't be right. Mm -hmm. So we fucking tested it. When I went to Spain, whatever, I let my dude handle it and they didn't do anything wrong, but it's just, if I'm not talking about it, Mm -hmm. the sales kind of just plummeted, you know, regardless if the athletes promote or not. It makes sense to me though, because People don't want to support companies. They want to support other people. Mm-hmm. Maybe somebody doesn't give a shit about Live Fit, but they care about Randall, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. You know, that's why Nike pays athletes tens and millions of dollars. Like, they wouldn't pay those people if they could get away with not paying them, right? Right, right. And it's because they want to support individual humans. And now with social media being what it is. Exactly. And if you build your, your, your social media and audience... Uh, to a certain point, you can start expanding and doing different uh, brands. Like myself, you know, so now I have Top Reds, this other brand mm-hmm. that represents more of like uh, our culture, you know, with tattoos, the scene, Parker music, tattoos and all that stuff, you know? So it's a little different from Live It, but it's still an influence from myself. And they're two completely separate brands, but they're both crushing it. Cool. Well, I think that's a good note to end on. Yeah. So thank you again for doing this. And, uh, <laughs> I guess anything in particular you want to plug beyond just the brand in general? I'm, I might actually be starting a record label. Or actually, yeah, I'm starting a record label. Oh, okay. Yeah, starting with uh, uh, the guys from uh, Lee Singer of Lionheart and uh, Robin, um, the singer of Stick to Your Guns. Oh, cool. <laughs> so I don't know if you want to put that out there. It's called Concrete. Okay. It's Is there anything looking. to look at yet? Not yet because uh, Lionheart's on tour right now, but we're about to do the merch launch and the website launch pretty soon. So the is all kind of like design just right to get the, the trigger pulled. All right, my friends, that does it for this episode of the podcast. If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for listening. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you. If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home thinking about how awesome this podcast is. That works, too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Right? Yeah! 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 The wrath of the buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The wrath of the buzzard. P-R-O-H files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.